What a great privilege it is for many of us who are in the church that we have been brought up to know Jesus Christ as Lord. What a blessing to have had godly parents who prayed for us, who instructed and introduced us to Jesus Christ and helped us in those early days to follow his way. There may, of course, be some here who do not, did not have that privilege. You may, at some, someone may look back on their previous life, on their upbringing, and think, I wasn't told these things. They may have some regret that early in their lives they weren't introduced to the Jesus Christ as the only Savior. Having said that, those people now fully appreciate the great privilege of being called out of sin and darkness into the light of the gospel. And perhaps people that have been brought out outside the church have an even greater uh, appreciation, a greater rejoicing in knowing Jesus as personal Savior because they know that they would have been lost completely while we who have had the privileges of being brought up in the church can at times take our spiritual heritage for granted. We almost think, although we may not say it, but there's almost the thought in our hearts that it's our birthright, that we automatically then become Christians and will follow Jesus. Well, friends, let us not take the privilege of coming to Jesus Christ by, in faith as something that is our deserved or our right. It is all by God's grace. It is not because we have been brought up as children of beloved parents. Though in the covenant we have much to rejoice in and we thank God for godly parents for the covenant privileges which we received. Friends, however, we have many examples to show us that grace does not run in the blood. And even those who are brought up in the church need to cry out, what must I do to be saved? And that's a message for any here who have been baptized, who are growing up. You need to come to saving faith for yourself. That outward (coughs) washing of water you need to embrace. You need to use that in your own life to come to Christ. You see, when we go back to Genesis chapter 4 and 5, what we find here is there are two lines. There's a godly line and then there is the line of Cain. And even within the godly line, we will find throughout the study of Scripture, just because you're born of Israel doesn't make you faithful or a follower of God. And what we want to think about really today in broadest terms is simply from Seth to Noah. Taking in a big scope, but we're looking at from Seth to Noah. And we must begin just by way of introduction, thinking a little about about Cain. Chapter 4 deals with Cain. 
He is the ungodly one. He is the one who was angered that God received Abel's offering. He is the one who deepened his sin in killing his own brother. When he was born, Eve's Eve's heart rejoiced. Cain, she had received a man from the Lord. In him was tied up her hope of the promise of God of chapter 315 being worked out. But very soon that hope came to nothing. Cain showed his ungodly side. And then chapter 4 outlines the line of Cain through his son Lamech who became even more sinful. He became adulterous in marriage, marrying two people, two women. He, He confessed he had killed a man and he is arrogant even about that. Cain speaks to us of unrighteousness and of impurity and a separation from God. Then the scripture brings us to Seth, chapter 4, in uh, the verse we read from verse 25. In fact, we might have, we might have wanted to end chapter 4 at verse 24 and begin a new chapter with Seth. But here is Seth, light in the midst of darkness, given of God. And then we have chapter 5, which outlines the righteous line, Seth through his offspring down to Noah. Although chapter 5, as you note, begins back with Adam. We'll come to that later. So as we look at chapter of Seth to Noah, first of all I want you to note hope renewed. That's what Seth brings. Hope renewed for Adam and Eve. In the midst of God is cursing the serpent and indeed pronouncing the difficulties for the man and woman who had spiritually died because of the fall, the hope is given of chapter 3.15. There will be your seed, Eve, who will crush the head of the serpent. Both Adam and Eve had embraced that hope. It had been bound up, first of all, in Cain and perhaps even in Abel. But the two boys grew up and Cain kills his brother. Kills the, and Adam and Eve might have looked at Abel and said, here's the righteous one. He's just different to Cain. As parents, we all know how we can look at our children. We just know there's something different. Cain demonstrated a lack of faith. Abel demonstrated faith. But suddenly their hope is dashed. Cain kills Abel. He shows his utter unrighteousness and he takes away the hope that might have been bound up in faithful Abel. But now we read, Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And now in Seth, their hope is renewed. Seth actually means granted. God has granted them another. What a wonderful blessing for Adam and Eve. Their hope in God's word is renewed and revived because they have been given another son in Seth. The seed would it be through him 
or his line that the serpent would be crushed, that the Messiah would come. Well, yes, it would. And chapter 5 goes on to outline the, the steps taken to get to Noah. And then we have another story. How many times in life have you and I not needed hope renewed? Perhaps something you'd longed for, something you looked forward to, and hope is dashed so easily. And we like to have it renewed. Think of the disciples, the apostles in the days of Jesus Christ. Here he was, their hope walking in their midst. Jesus Christ, the great teacher, the miracle worker. And yet their hopes are dashed when they saw their loved one on the cross of Calvary. All that they had bound up with him as man was suddenly gone. He had died. And all their hopes that maybe this was the true Messiah seemed to be shattered. But what hope was renewed whenever Jesus rose from the dead? The hearts of those two on the Emmaus road as they walked away from Jerusalem discouraged and despondent burned with fire as Jesus appeared, the risen Lord, and explained to them the Scriptures. And when he opened their eyes and they saw him, a risen Savior, their hope absolutely soared. They took no time. They returned to Jerusalem and they shared in that hope. So Seth speaks to you and me of hope renewed and of the Messiah to come. And he points us to Messiah. It is through this righteous line that the Messiah will come. And it is in him your hope must rest. We can have all kinds of hopes in the world. Some of our hopes are maybe rather feeble, maybe in very small things. But they can all be let down. We can all be frustrated. But here's a hope that will never be frustrated, those whose hope is in the Lord, who know that Jesus Christ is Savior and Messiah, that no matter what happens in your life, whatever difficulties come, whatever pain and trial you go through, Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord. And if you have entrusted all to Him, you can be assured that in the day when you're called from this world, He will be there for you. And you will simply go on to be with Him. Is that your hope? That hope never, maybe doesn't need to be renewed uh, from the side of God, but it often needs renewed in our hearts. We need to be pointed again to the reality and to be reminded of the great certainty of Jesus Christ as Savior. Secondly, we want to think about the witness that has begun. Adam and Eve had faith. It seems up until the coming of Seth, and then through Seth, his offspring Enosh, that there wasn't very outward communion with God. Men seemed to be silent. God had spoken to Adam and Eve, and Adam had replied, but their communion we're not told much about. And perhaps it had gone into abeyance a bit because of the growth of Cain and his family. 
But what are we told following the birth of Enosh? We're told that men began to call on the name of the Lord. And this is very closely associated with the righteous line of Seth. And the words here suggest not just prayer, but they suggest worship. In fact, it suggests even a testimony to God and a witness to God, a proclamation of the Lord. Men began to cry on the name of the Lord. You see, this is how it works. When you pray, you're actually saying, I believe in God. And I believe that my prayer will be heard because Jesus Christ is my Savior. That's what prayer really is. So immediately you are witnessing to God. And these people now began to call upon God. Remember, they were living among a people who were unrighteous. The line of Cain. Cain was a wanderer, but he didn't wander very far. His family was growing as uh, Seth's family grew and as others were born to Adam and Eve, as we read. The whole family was extending and growing. There were people around them. And they began to call on the name of the Lord. And to those others who didn't take time to think about God, they were saying, you were created by God. You were created by a Lord in heaven. And we're praying to him. And you should look to him. They maybe didn't put it in as many words, but their very prayers conveyed that to them. They were living among an adulterous and a wicked people in Cain and many of his offspring. We know how this works even in life. When you're uh, wanting something, you go to someone who can give it. We recognize their position and their authority. We are testifying that those people are able to do that. We don't go to uh, people, to the doctor, and, and ask him to, to fix our computer. We don't do that because we know we, that may not be a skill. We go to the doctor to get the medication to help us with our health. Why? Because we recognize that he is able, that that's his pla- their place. And they have skills to do that. We're actually proclaiming, we believe that that person can do this and can provide help to us. Whenever you say you've been to the doctor, you're actually saying to that person, and I believe that the doctor is able to some help. But they may not be able to do it all, but some help. And so we cry out to God. And today we are crying out to God and we are called to cry out to God as we live among a godless and wicked generation. All around us we live among a people who are unrighteous and, and godless in every activity. Just as Seth's descendants, many of them learning from Adam and Eve and from Seth as their parents, the ways of God cried out to God in the midst of brothers and sisters, cousins, second cousins, 
Cain's family and all the rest of them, they cried out to God and were saying, there's a God. So you and I today need to be crying out to God amongst and in the midst of a wicked people. What must we do in the face of the corruption of this world all around us? Well, surely here's what we ought to do. We ought to call upon the Lord. And not only that, in calling upon the Lord, we must proclaim His word. We must tell people why we are calling upon the Lord. And as a church, in our synod this past week, we were calling upon the Lord concerning the law on abortion and the law on marriage redefinition. Call upon the Lord. And we believe it is right to explain to the world why. Because these laws are flying in the very face of God. And that's only one example. Wherever we are, we are to testify to Jesus Christ as ruler and Lord and sovereign over all things. Call upon him. In fact, we are to declare to people that this is the good news. There is bad news. You're a sinner. You're dead. You have no hope. You're without hope. God made you to fellowship with him, but you've rejected him. But here's the good news. And we're crying out to God in your behalf. There is a Savior. There's a Messiah. Bow the knee to him. Perhaps some of us, perhaps we who are in the church and love the Lord, need to confess that our witness has sometimes been rather muted. We've been slow to speak. So conscious of upsetting people or perhaps people taking things the wrong way. Friends, forget about what they think. Forget about how they might take it. Tell them the truth because that's the only thing they need. And if they reject it and are upset by it, they are upset with God and not with you. There'll be more on that rather this evening, by the way. People need to turn to God to seek his mercy. We are concerned for our children and our grandchildren. What are we to do? Cry out to God and testify to his glory and his goodness. We are concerned about the laws of our land. What are we to do? We are to petition our MPs. We are to speak clearly to them. But we are also to cry out to God and we are to declare that why we speak to them is because they will be answerable to God and the laws they propose are an abomination. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Seth and his people were witnesses to God. Third thing in this chapter, death speaks. What a testimony it is as we read chapter 5. It opens, as we said, it traces the line from Adam. Because Adam had come to faith. God had been gracious. God had clothed him with skin. God had brought him to know that there was a righteousness to be had. But God would provide that through the Messiah. The one who would crush the serpent in the days to come. And now his line is traced right down through faithful Seth. Right down to Noah. Righteous people. 
long-living people. In those days, it was nothing to live 800 years. That seems absolutely incredible to you and me, but that these were early days. These were early days. The genetic code of our makeup had not disintegrated too far. Disease was not uh, rampant as it may be today. There are many reasons why they might have lived this length of time. But the real reason is by God's grace. The earth was being being occupied. The children were multiplied and God's created people were growing in number. But you know, it's not because of the remarkable number of years people lived that this chapter should be highlighted. It's because of that refrain which we noted as we read through it. The refrain that strikes us after each person is mentioned except for Enoch and Noah. And he died. And he died. And he died. Again and again and again. Adam lived 930 years. And then he died. Even Methuselah all our children, we all learn that at Sabbath school. The oldest man. And then he died. You see what has been proclaimed in this death as it speaks is that men cannot live forever. Death comes because sin is present. And he died. And very shortly, the expand of their life will be suddenly shortened. Death becomes even more a recurring difficulty. And he died. And and he died should drive these people to seek the Lord, to listen to the witness, to call upon the God of heaven and earth. The reason they die is because of disobedience. Death, remember, is the consequence of sin. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and died, just as God told them they would. And death reminds us of that. And it speaks to us of our need of a saviour for spiritual life. Today, death it can be very neatly packaged. We who know about death know the problem it is. But for the world, they, they de- it's amazing how they can grieve for a day or two and then on they go as if nothing had happened, nothing has changed. The mourner can be cocooned. The, the professional uh, undertaker comes in and does his job and it's all so nice. But it's death and it speaks to us of sin and of our need of Jesus as Savior. And the world needs to waken up. They're dying. And every funeral, every time we see a coffin or a hearse in the street, we should be saying, there's death. I need the Savior. Because death will come to all. What a challenge it is to think about that. Have you looked to Jesus Christ 
you're dying, I'm dying. But only in Jesus is there hope for life. And he died. And death still speaks. Sadly, people aren't listening until they them die themselves and then suddenly it'll be too late. You can't listen when you're dead. That's why we must preach the word to the living in the here and now. But not all died. Absolutely astonishing, amazing, incredible. There was a man who walked with God. And here's where we're going to finish with Enoch. And of course Noah. But Noah died eventually. But Noah, also a righteous man. And God takes the story further with Noah. In Noah, the righteous line continues. And all the people of the earth swept away in the flood. Noah, the hope of eternity. And through him, the Messiah comes. But what about Enoch? Aren't these not amazing words? And after he became the father of Methuselah, he walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. He walked with God 300 years. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, it means that he was in close communion and fellowship with God. Every day he got up, he thought about his God, worshipped his God, he talked to his God, he listened to his God, he, he brought his life under the kingship and authority of God. He walked with God. And so close and intimate and was that walk, so knowledgeable between God and this man, that we read that by faith he walked with God and then he was not for God took him away. One day he was walking with his God on earth and the next moment he was walking with God in heaven not having suffered the stigma of death, of dying. Beautiful. But friends, most people die And yet if we're walking with God as we should, if you're walking with God, it can be the same for us. In our souls we are bound up with Him, serving Him, honoring Him. And one day it may happen that you're walking with God, reading His Word, communing with Him on earth. And then the next moment you'll be communing with Him in glory. Yes, you will have to go through the barrier, the pain, the physical suffering of death. But in the soul, and the soul is a thing that's all important, you will walk with God onwards to glory. Are you prepared for that? We fear dying. As Christians, we fear that death is the enemy. It's an experience we shouldn't be having because it's the result of sin. And we don't like the thought of our physical frames declining and they do decline and as you get older the more you realize that. But if we're walking in the soul with God we will walk on with Him forever and ever. It will simply be a transition from the earth to glory. 
And while all around us may say he's dead, the, the body's there, but there's no life in it. The soul lives on forever. Enoch walked with God and by faith was taken. And friends, that's where you all need to be. Without Christ, you're without hope. If you're not walking with God today, you will never certainly walk with him in eternity. If you have not embraced the Savior today, don't expect him to welcome you into glory. If you have rejected him here, he will reject you. And you'll be cast out into outer darkness. What a lesson from Enoch and his walk with God. Noah also walked with God. But then that's another story and one we'll come to in the days to come. May we learn then from this passage, hope renewed and saith, a righteous line is born. And in that line witness began. People called upon the Lord and called out to God and in doing so told others there is a God to call to. Death speaks for every man died except Enoch. Death still speaks to us of our need. And then there's the man who walked with God, showing us how we are to live by faith. And by faith, we will know God.